Dale's Petcast. They provide unconditional love, unlimited companionship, and unquestionable support. We're talking about your pets. Useful information for you to better care for and understand your pet. This is Steve Dale's Petcast, brought to you by MerrickPetCare.com. Welcome to the Merrick Pet Care Petcast. I am your host, Steve Dale. The idea is to provide you information that you really can use about your beloved four-legged friends. Information that truly is helpful. And this is going to be a hard discussion to have in a way because you look at your cat. If you have a cat, and if your cat is overweight or obese... You need to hear this. The thing is that so many of you say, my cat isn't overweight or obese, and maybe the cat is, which is something we'll talk about. And we will, in fact, in fact, I will be talking with the lead veterinarian at Merrick Pet Care who brings you these pet casts, and that is Dr. Ruth Ann Lobos. Dr. Lobos, what I'm referring to is data that's out that I'm going to put it a very different way than the data suggests, but the data suggest that if there were great-great-grandma around and great-great-grandma could look at all our cats, great-great-grandma would say, my, they are all overweight or obese, or at least nearly all of them. It seems as though our perception has changed over time as to what really is an overweight or obese cat. But still, the reality hasn't changed. An overweight or obese cat is still overweight or obese. Can you comment on that? Yes, and this is overweight pets is such a passion point of mine. So I will I will try to make sure that I control myself in this podcast or pet cast and so we can keep it to the time allotted. Uh, but it is so to your point with more than half of our cats, um, some reports say up to like 63% of our cats are either overweight or obese. It's hard to know what normal or like ideal and healthy weight actually looks like when your cat looks like everybody else's. Um, and so it, you know, part of it does, I would say the, the onus comes on the veterinarian to have that conversation, but also from the pet parent side to initiate that conversation and, and to arm yourself with the right tools and the right education pieces to be able to not only properly feed properly mentally and physically enrich your cat's environment um, and to set them up for lifelong success and hopefully avoid this, um, you know, really kind of almost self-induced disease that um, we can sometimes just out of a state of love inflict on our pets. So when I speak at veterinary conferences, uh, there are a couple of talks that I do where what we're talking about is applicable. And I'll turn to the audience. This is an audience that sees pet every day. They're veterinarians and technicians. And I say, okay, the data suggests that 60% of cats are overweight or obese. And they look at each other each and every time. And I see head shake. And I say, why? What, what, you think those numbers are wrong? And they say, yeah, it's more like 70% or 75%. Really? You know, so there are, I, I would say 60% is, is actually conservative. Yes, I, I would agree. And, and what's interesting is there is a study that came out. Um, Dr. Jen Larson was one of the authors on it, looking at client understanding of what ideal body condition is. And they, they started with um, almost 400 kittens 
and followed them till they were about two years of age. And at the end of that two years, they asked the, the pet parent, um, you know, to assess body condition. And they did throughout the study, but I'll, I'll get to the, to the end point of it faster. Um, and only uh, 25% of those pet parents admitted that their cat was either overweight or obese. But when the veterinarians actually examined them, it was like 38%, over 38% of those cats were actually obese or overweight. So there is this knowledge gap that's there as well um, from, from the pet parent side, as well as, you know, when the cat comes in, oftentimes, you know, I've been in the clinic and he's, you know, cats are not always excited about coming into the clinic. And so you're just trying to do the exam as fast as possible with the lowest amount of stress. And, oh, by the way, they've also got an ear infection or this little skin something going on. And, and so nutrition kind of falls down on, on the list of things to talk about. Um, and, and it's really kind of that foundational piece that runs through not only that everyday interaction between that pet and that pet parent, but then can also be kind of that foundation for overall health to be able to avoid some of these uh, more life-threatening diseases. You know, I heard, I think it was Dr. Ernie Ward who called it the fat gap. And and that's what I was referring to at the very beginning with my great-grandmother's story, and you described it better, actually. So, all right, the veterinarian says this cat is overweight or obese, but let me back up, way back up. Prevention is always best. Why do we, in the first place, have so many cats that are overweight and obese? We'll talk in a moment about what to do about it, but... Let's say you don't have one of those cats or you have a kitten. How do we prevent it from happening? Yeah, and I think part of it, first off, is what we just kind of covered is recognizing if your cat is starting to get overweight. Uh, But then it also comes down to feeding. Um, You know, I would say cats are can be a little bit different from dogs um, in their feeding behavior. Certainly, genetically, um, they tend to be more small meal feeders versus dogs that kind of eat um, more large meals multiple times a day. Um, But for us, you know, for a lot of cat owners, it's easy to just jump a bunch in the bowl, not pay attention to how much you're putting in there, not actually measuring it. Um, Every time the cat comes over to bat your ankle or think you're, you you know, want to play or something, and your immediate response is to go pour more kibble in the bowl, thinking that they're hungry, Uh, you know, so it's really those kind of factors that set them up for becoming overweight or obese. Is it true that neutering actually predisposes some male cats to be overweight or obese? Yeah, and it's not just male cats. It's both male and female cats, um, and that applies to our dogs as well that we know that spaying and neutering them actually drops their metabolism somewhere between about 20 and 30%. So, um, you know, that in itself and having that awareness um, is also super important because you may have to adjust how much you're feeding them after they come home from being spayed or neutered. Do you have a peanut around? And she's thinking, what's he asking me? (laughs) So here's why I'm asking about peanuts. Isn't now okay. imagine, friends, a a peanut, a peanut, a little peanut, and what's inside it? What do you call those peanuts? I guess I don't know. When you crack it open and you see the two nuts inside, you take one of those. That's about the size, I believe, 
of a cat's stomach. So no wonder. Am I right? Uh, I mean, certainly it starts off very small, and but they don't get very big. You think about the average cat um, weighs some, or I should say, should weigh somewhere between 10 and 12 pounds, um, again, depending on their breed and their bone structure, but I'm just kind of throwing out some generalities. Um, it's not very big. You compare that to, you know, like Finn, my Labrador retriever at home, um, who's, you know, whose stomach is probably about the size, can expand, you know, fairly large and probably what he, you know, I've seen him eat some kibble when he gets into the bag when he's not supposed to, and he, his stomach can expand quite large. Yeah. Um, but for our cats, you know, they're they are they're small, and that's the way they are physiologically designed to have those smaller meals. All right. So I want to talk about how we can improve. What can we do to feed our cats? What should we be doing so maybe they won't get so heavy? Yeah, so I am a big fan of actually having like a food scale if you're going to feed a dry kibble to your cat. Because um, I'll, tell you, I'll use my household, for example. When I feed the dogs, I am very precise about making sure that that kibble is right at the line that it's supposed to be of the measuring cup. It's not like a giant ice cream scoop or sunken in, concave, like that. And if you think about a cat that only eats about 150 to 200 calories a day, that little bit, say that maybe 25 or 30 extra calories, is a significant amount that adds to their bottom line if that happens day after day after day. So if you have a scale, it's really more exact because, for example, my son Alexander, when he feeds the dogs, it looks more like an ice cream scoop that he gives them. Um, and my husband's a little bit stingy. So it's, it's, con, it's a little bit concave in the, in the kibble quantity that goes in their bowl. So the, the scale thing kind of takes all of that um, sort of personal bias or lack of attention to detail or anything out of there because you can get that right number. So you're measuring an exact amount that they're going to get every single day. Um, another option is with canned food that's kind of a pre-portioned quantity that they have. So it, it again, takes that guesswork out of it um, as the kibble is a rounded scoop or, you know, a level scoop or something like that. So is there any truth to that dry food is not preferred because it's more fattening or the other way around, that canned food is not preferred because it is more fattening? Uh, or a combination may be best. Right, and it's really more about like about the calories that are being consumed. Um, and so, you know, I am a big fan of feeding a variety of textures simply because later in life they may need to be on a canned food-only diet or something like that. And cats are very, very sensitive to the different textures that they're fed. And so if we can expose them at an earlier age they're more likely to be accepting later in life. So I'm a big fan of mixing up the variety of textures that they're, that are, I should say that they're offered. Um, and, but it really is boils down to really how many calories are they consuming and making sure again, that they're eating a complete and balanced diet that has the right protein and fats and micro minerals and all that kind of stuff in it. All right. Before we get to what to do about those overweight or mm -hmm. obese cats, 
I want to talk a little about exercise. So if we were talking dogs, you would be talking, oh, go running with the dog if it's the right mm-hmm. kind of dog to go running with or go to the beach. Or, well, with cats, we can't do that. But I would argue there are things we can do and arguably should be doing. I would agree. I mean, I, as you know, exercise is another passion point of mine. But it's not only for the physical enrichment, but also the mental enrichment that it provides for them. And you can teach your cat to walk on a leash. Um, you can take your cat so you can go around the neighborhood or around your backyard in a safe manner if they have a leash and a harness. Um, but you can also, um, yeah, I think we may have talked about this on another one of the pet casts, but we all do a ton of online shopping, right? Amazon just had Prime Day, so there are cardboard boxes that are showing up all over the place. Creating a little maze, there was actually just a recent study that said cats love to sit in squares and yes. jump from squares to squares. Yes. Um, and so using those cardboard boxes to create a maze or a little obstacle course in your house before they go out to the recycling. Um, and that little bit of activity and fun for them certainly burns calories as well as provides fun. Well, you know, um, it also provides a way if you have kids, uh, there are so many things that dogs and kids can do together and they do. Uh, for cats, yep. the list isn't quite as long. So if you are attaching paper grocery sacks, the kids are, to one another and maybe coloring them if they're young kids to look like the cat's favorite things or something like that. And and you're putting this maze of sack, you know, the, the you know what I'm talking about. You go to the grocery store. Uh, will that be paper or plastic? And hopefully plastic isn't even offered where you live. So you get the paper and and you put those together. That can be something the kids can do. And the cat appreciates that the kids are involved in it. And the cat's getting some exercise going through this maze. I mean, Things like that, to me, are a win-win and little bits of exercise. Cats don't have to run marathons, but doing a little bit every day, to me, does matter and uh, and adds up. Yeah, for sure. And and like you said, it kind of involves the whole family. Um, so you're keeping your kids busy, you're keeping the cat busy and happy. Um, you can then do whatever you want to do and just have some oversight on all of the creation that's happening. So um, it, that's a, a really fantastic approach. And another might be teaching the cat to come when called. I mean, that can matter. You and I did a, a pet cast about emergency preparedness. And you can actually teach a cat to, to come when you call. I mean, really, friends? It's possible. And, and if you do that in a non-stressed way and use, yes, you're using a little bit of food perhaps as a reward, but still the exercise to me does matter. And over time, you don't have to offer the food reward every time. And soon you'll be able to call the cat. Cat's upstairs. You're downstairs. And you call the cat. The cat's getting exercise running to you, having a good time. Even if there's no food payoff because you've been doing this a while, there's petting. It's called uh, this kind of reinforcement that is not every single time is actually the more effective kind of reinforcement because it's like going to a slot machine. You never know when you're going to win. And, <laughs> and right. yeah, it's the same for the cats. Uh, to me, these kinds of things enhance the human-animal bond. And also, we're talking about some exercise. You're the expert here when it comes to exercise. Does that matter? Do cats work off calories just like dogs do and just like people do? Oh, yeah, exactly. You know, and, and every little movement, um, you know, is a is a benefit for them. So, like, to your point about running up and down the stairs, like, that's a, 
another idea, depending on kind of your living situation and the other, you know, pets in the household, you can put a little bit of kibble on each step and make them go up, work, literally work for their kibble and go up <laughs> and down the stairs eating. Yes. And that's a great way to burn calories. Again, they use a little bit of their kind of their hunting instincts to find the kibble as it's on each different step and, um, and they're getting their nutrition as well. I just love that idea. And, in fact, feeding the cat in different feeding stations in the first place, or at least feeding some of the food measured, to your point, pre-measured, but, <laughs> but putting them in different places around the house. Some up high. Cats like to go up high. If you have a dog, they all have to go up high because otherwise the dog's going to get to it. But at least some of the food that way so the cat gets to, quote, unquote, hunt, even indoors. But let's say now, all right. You're listening to all this. You say, that's fine and good, but my cat is overweight or obese. What do you do? Yeah. So one point I did want to mention is that the other kind of way to get in front of this is to be taking your cat to your veterinarian on a regular basis. Uh, You know, a lot of times we think about our dogs more so, and they're very good at getting in for their annual exam and their vaccinations and whatnot. Um, And sometimes our cats are considered sort of second-class citizens in that respect, but that annual exam is so very important. Yep, I agree. Uh, agree. And then, you know, so you have a weight history. Yeah, in fact, go twice a year, and, you know, unless you can weigh your cat, it's hard to tell, you know, because we're talking about maybe two pounds, but two pounds can make a big difference. That could be 5% of your cat's weight, and if you lose or gain 5%, your doctor's going to pay attention. That's somewhat significant. Exactly. Yeah. All right, so let's yep. say you've got that overweight or obese cat. Uh, what What do you do? Yeah, so having, again, having that great conversation with your veterinarian, it's so important. Because um, you don't you don't want to take cat nutrition into your own hands um, in this sense, because if we restrict their calories too much too quickly, that can send them into um, what's called a fatty liver disease or hepatic lipidosis is the big word. Um, and that can be really life threatening for them. So you really want to make sure you're having that close conversation with your veterinarian and they can often um, recommend a, a therapeutic weight loss diet that's going to be concentrated in all of the nutrients that they need, but in a calorically less dense um, formulation or recipe. Um, so one that's really dialed in for true weight loss in a good controlled fashion is going to be super important. That's kind of a silly question, but I think it needs to be answered. Why is it so important that obese cats uh, get their weight down? I mean, I think the broad stroke answer is that it interferes with the human-animal bond at its most foundational level um, because it can not only lead to diseases like diabetes, um, which in itself is, from my perspective, one of the most devastating Uh, diagnoses that I can share with a pet parent. Um, It just can kind of flip your whole life on its lid. Um, And, you know, it's it's also they can get really cranky. Um, They can have trouble getting in and out of litter boxes, which, again, um, is one of the top reasons that pets get turned into animal shelters is because of bad litter box habits. But if they can't physically jump into the litter box because they weigh so much, uh, that's a really sad state of affairs. And then that kind of starts to unwind that super strong human-animal bond. 
Yeah, I, I, you're, you're absolutely right. You didn't mention osteoarthritis, and you didn't mention even some kinds of cancers are uh, more likely to occur with pets that are obese. And the psychological help. I mean, the yeah. psychological, I mean, a cat that cannot groom himself or herself it can't fundamentally be a cat, and they can't reach back there to groom themselves, not to mention it may be kind of yucky for you, and then you're not interacting with the cat as much. I mean, there's just no upside to this at all. It really, really does make a difference. And what is, I was going to say astounds me, and that's not quite the right way to put it, but the thing is that nearly always people, nearly always people that have obese cats want to do they love their cats right and they want to do right. the best i think for them do you do you do you find the same i i do you know and it's not that they are obese because the pet parent is really trying to inflict disease it's almost like you said exactly the opposite is that they love them so much and i think we are fortunate that we live in a day and age now where we have so many different ways that we can express and interact um, our our love with our pets and cats in particular beyond just putting kibble in the in the bowl or opening a new can of deliciously smelly, stinky cat food. Uh, you know, we have different um, environmental enrichment things. And we talked, like we talked about with the Amazon boxes or the paper sacks and things like that. Um, you know, ways that we can actually engage with our, with our cats on a, on a much more foundational level than just simply putting kibble in a bowl. And, and, and that way we get to love them even longer. Well, this to me, that answer speaks so well of what Merrick is all about, Merrick Pet Care, caring in a very special way about all of your pets. Because here's someone who's the lead veterinarian at a pet food company saying, hey, you know, don't overdo it. Uh, we want to sell pet food. I'm sure you do. But uh, don't overdo it because we want that pet to be around for a very, very long time. And we also know that lean pets live longer. Uh, I think Purina did a study years ago about that, right? Yeah, sure did. Yeah, we call it the the 448 study where showed that lean-fed Labradors actually lived about 1.8 years longer and they had reduced diseases like arthritis and hypothyroidism and diabetes and things like that as opposed to their litter mates. So it can really make life-changing differences in our pets if we can feed them to a lean body condition. Dr. Ruth Ann Lobos, you are wonderful. Lead veterinarian at Merrick Pet Care. I know you care, and this is a passion for you because, I, I don't know, I'll use your words. I say it's an epidemic of overweight cats at this point and obese cats. Yes, for sure. And so the more we can spread the message about keeping your cats at a healthy weight and uh, in engaging with them in other ways than just around the food bowl uh, will certainly help to warm my heart and keep our cats around much longer. Warm this woman's heart. Dr. Ruth Ann Lobos, as always, thank you so much. Thank you, Steve. Have a great day. You've been listening to Steve Dale's PetCast. Brought to you by MerrickPetCare.com. And as Steve always says, be good to your pet and they'll be good to you.